Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to John 18. Really great story, really exciting uh, story I want to share with you today. Uh, it's really just grabbed a hold of my heart and my mind this whole week, and I have been so excited uh, to share it with you. Have you read this story before? It's about his uh, arrest, Jesus' arrest. Have you read that? Have you heard it? Have you studied it before? It's so good. So, so good for a number of reasons because it really challenges uh, the way that we see Jesus and the way that we respond to him, particularly in our difficult times and our difficult seasons, in these moments in which I would say we have enemies coming at us at night because that's what happens here and it's what happens to us as well. You know, when you, when you lay your head down at night, you were fine during the day, you were functioning just fine, and then all of a sudden, all of these fears and concerns, they come marching towards you, things that seem so daunting and overpowering and intimidating, really, honestly, intimidating. I wanna read a couple of verses to you from the story, and I want you to do two things, if you would, all right? Two things, they may make you a little uncomfortable, but it's gonna be okay. First one is I want you to image the story in your mind. I want you to see it. I want you to picture it. Really try to get an image in your mind about what's happening in the story. It's gonna help. It's gonna help you a lot. The other thing is I want you to emotionally respond to that image, okay? We're not gonna share our emotions. So if you're the kind of person that's uncomfortable with talking about your emotions, that's fine. You can just keep them all bottled up, all right? We're gonna, you're gonna be allowed to do that. I just want you to experience it. Image the story and emotionally respond to it. And just hold on to that for a second as we open up the text. It's going to matter. It's really gonna matter as we look at the implications. This is what John chapter 18, I'm gonna read one through a portion of four. It says this, after Jesus had said these things, that was a personal prayer. He had prayed for his disciples, for himself and for you. We talked about that last week. After he had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. And he and his disciples, this is late at night, he and his disciples went into it, the garden. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Why did he know the place? It's not a secret, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas is one of those disciples, often went to this place, that's important. Picture the scene, there's a valley, there's a garden, it's night, it's cool in the evening. And so Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen, y'all know what's about to happen to him, right? You know what's about to go down. Everything that was about to happen to him, verse four says, he went out to them. Can you picture this scene? It's evening, it's cold. We know it's cold because Peter later warms himself by a fire. It's probably the sort of evening in which you can see your breath as you speak, that sort of stuff. Just a, a quiet group of people. Maybe there's a little bit of joking. Maybe there's a little bit of talking. Jesus had just prayed this prayer for them. He's saying things about dying. He's saying things about his time to go. But you know, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus says. And so they walk across this valley, up a little hill to this garden. You kind of picture that. It's dark, it's nice, it's peaceful. And then notice 
In your mind, look off in the distance, there's light. Is it a fire? Is something burning? There's definitely a flame, but it's getting closer. This is kind of weird. You know, it's getting closer. There's just 11 disciples, Jesus. Again, it's quiet and this flame, this fire starts to get closer and closer. It takes a minute to register what's going on here. You can hear something clanging, something moving about. And as it gets closer and closer, you start to recognize that this is an army, a mob, something's happening. As they get closer and closer, you realize, you recognize some of the people in the group. You grew up with some of these guys, you know, some of them as Pharisees, some of them as leaders. And as they surround you, you begin to uh, recognize. It begins to, everything's falling into place. You're starting to question within your own heart. Maybe somebody says it out loud. Are they coming for us? Is this group marching toward us, toward you, toward, what's their deal? You look around and, and you're surrounded by an army. Can you picture that? What sort of emotion stirs within your heart? I, I've shared this story with a few people this week. I've talked to them, I've asked them about Jesus' arrest. What kind of ways do you respond to it? Nearly everybody said one of two emotions. One is just fear, just intense fear. These are soldiers. These are intimidating people. They're, they're marching towards you. There's this fear, what's gonna happen? We know what's gonna happen, but there's this part in you that goes, Man, that's, that's our boy, that's Jesus. We don't, why are they coming at him? There's a little bit of fear, there's sadness. There's sadness because from our perspective, looking back, we, Jesus is not the only one that knows exactly what's about to happen to him. Can you see that? Can you feel it? Can you respond to it? Can you sit there in that emotion, in that space and be like, this is, this is not cool. Listen, for most of my life, when I heard this story, when I read this story, the dominating idea was intimidation. This is a very intimidating story, not only because of the scene, like I, like I painted it for you there, but also the people that are there. The company of soldiers in the original languages means or signifies somewhere between 200 and 600 soldiers. Armed soldiers are marching toward Jesus in the night. They are all carrying, they are all with weapons. The chief priests were um, signified very high leadership. The, um, the chief priests were a sort of peer elected uh, position. And because it's plural, what it would have meant was it wasn't only the acting chief priest, but also the preceding one and probably the one before that. Three very political, very strong, influential leaders are coming at you with not only the temple police, but then Roman soldiers as well. The Pharisees are the most powerful religious group of that day. This is political and military strength and might coming to you in full force in the middle of the night. That scene, those people are intimidating. It's massively intimidating, but then it hits personal. It lands right there in the middle of your heart. It, it, it causes you to choke back tears as you recognize as the flames get closer, as the lanterns get close enough that you can see the faces, you're noticing that the one in the middle is one of your friends. It's Judas, it's a, it's a guy that you like joked with and laughed with and ate with and hung out with for like three straight years. This is your friend, that's an army, 
These are the most powerful people. This is massively intimidating. For me, I would have painted this picture. The emotion that I get is this is the part in which evil overtakes Jesus. It's just sort of the way that I always kind of walked around with it. This is the scene, like when you're, when you're watching a really great movie or you're reading a book, this is the chapter, this is the moment, this is the scene in which you know, you know, like, like I mean, surely the good guy's gonna, they're gonna win in this, but I don't see how. Evil has overtaken Jesus. That's, that's the emotion. That's the place where I start. That's the place where I read this story. That's the place where I always assume this story. To be honest with you, all the movies, that's, that's the way that they paint this picture. And yet, if you read it slower, if you read it with uh, eyes to see and a, and a heart to feel, with, with a mind to think and ears to hear, when you read that, that's not what's happening. When we actually understand what's going on in this story, it's not intimidation, it's not fear, it's, it's not sadness. There's an entirely different thing going on in the story. I mean, there's a little bit of intimidation. There is an ambush, but it's not what we first think. The, there's a couple of clues that happen in here. First of all, this idea that Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. Also in the previous verse where it says that Jesus went to the place where he always went. See, we kind of get the idea that Jesus was running to the garden to hide or he was escaping off in the night or that they secretly ambushed him or that they just found him by marching around. Can you imagine this army and these soldiers marching around the city and finally they stumble upon Jesus? None of that is happening. Jesus goes to the garden on purpose. In other parts of the Bible, it tells us that the week before that Jesus had, was arrested here, this whole week before, Jesus and the disciples, including Judas, spent the night in that garden every night of the previous week. Here's what you really need to understand and what we really need to grasp about this story is Jesus is not being ambushed in the story. He went there on purpose to trap the enemy. That's why I love that next part in verse four when it says, and he went out to them. Every one of us would have taken a step back. Jesus takes a step in. He takes a step toward them. And so in this scene, the way we feel about it, the way that we imagine the story, the way that we understand what Jesus is saying in the next few verses is really going to affect the way that we apply it to our lives. The way that the next time that you cannot go to sleep because there are so many intimidating enemies running through your mind, coming at you in the dark, this is gonna be a different way to act, a different way to react. Let's talk about that, but first let's pray together. Just real briefly, you pray for me and, and I will pray for you. God, as we open your words, I pray that our minds are open, our heart is open, where we do not measure up, God, I pray that we would change that you would give us the faith and the strength and the courage to do what it is that you tell us to do, to do it the way that you tell us to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. I've challenged myself this week. I'm trying not to say that something happened and Jesus reacted. There are three actions that Jesus takes in this story and they are not reactions. They are actions. Jesus is the, the, uh, the, the force in the midst of this story. And I wanna show that to you because I, because I really love it because it's such a great story. 
The first action that Jesus takes is this show of force. You can see it in five through six or the end of four through six. And he went out to them. He stepped into the crowd and he says to them, who is it that you are seeking? Who are you guys looking for? That's what Jesus says. He walks out there sort of like, uh, I don't know, Kevin Costner or somebody walks out there and says, who are y'all looking for? And Jesus of Nazareth, they responded and and that's how they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing there with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back. They, two to 600 soldiers, stepped back and fell to the ground. Jesus steps into the crowd. Who are you guys looking for? They said, Jesus. He goes, I am. And they fall to the ground. I'm sure there was a lot of confusion. Like, how did 600 people just trip, right? They just fall to the ground. They stand back up. Jesus is speaking into this crowd. The only people intimidated in this story are not Jesus. It's them. They're terrified of this guy. Why else would you bring an army with you to arrest him, right? If it was me they're arresting, they'd send like the junior temple guard out there to pick him up. Just pick him up. You just tell him he's in trouble, he's gonna start crying, bring him back. They send a full 600 armed soldiers out there to get Jesus, steps into the crowd. Who are you guys looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, that's me. And they fall to the ground. Here's some uh, interesting uh, things to notice. There's two things about his power. One is who he is. And the other one is what he says, who he is. I find it really fascinating. There's always this uh, like, this way that Jews write stories, that if you see it, you'll see it everywhere, and it's not always there. But when it is there, it's really cool. Stories will start and they'll mention something, and then stories will end much later, and they'll mention something else. And that's, that's on purpose. You're supposed to see sort of like these bookends in the story. There's one going on here, and there's one in the story. But this story itself, Jesus of Nazareth. In John, Jesus has already been called Jesus of Nazareth. One time at the beginning. This is one time at the end. Remember the story about Philip and Nathaniel? Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says, hey, we found the one that we've been looking for. We found the one that we've been looking for. Like these guys, we're looking for somebody. Well, who is it? It's Jesus. He's, he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That place is trash. You ever been there? It's like the armpit of Israel. Nobody wants to go to Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He says, well, Come and see. He meets Jesus and then he later describes him as the son of God, the king of Israel. That's who Jesus of Nazareth is. When they go out to find this guy, they're gonna find him, they're gonna arrest him, bring him back. We're gonna have a trial. What they find is the son of God. They find no less than the king of Israel. It's not just who he is, but it's also what and how he speaks. In John chapter seven, the Pharisees had already sent a group out and they told him to go out there and get Jesus, bring him back here. He's causing, we just don't like this guy. He's causing too much stuff. Um, We were in charge and now we're not. Like people are following, go get this guy. They come back empty handed, no Jesus with them. Pharisees, the leaders are like, hey, I told you to go get Jesus. Why you got no Jesus? I said, "You you gotta listen to this guy talk. You gotta listen to him preach. It's It's unlike anything I've ever heard. He speaks with 
authority. And what they're implying and what they're saying is it's not just the guy is faking it until he makes it. It's not just he's standing up there with confidence. This guy talks like he is actually God and it's believable. It's who he is. It's what he says. Three times the text uses the phrase ego ami. It means uh, I am. I am. When you read your Bible, and I know a lot of you are immediately, you know, you know where we're going with this, right? Exodus chapter three, the burning bush, God tells Pharaoh, or Moses, you need to go back and get my people. Go back to Egypt. You tell the most powerful person in the world, you tell him, let my people go. Moses stutters through, he's, he's like, I don't, what am I supposed to say? Like, if I go back, I'm not a good talker. If I go back, who, who do I even say sent me? God responds, you remember he says, you tell him, I am sent you. You tell him I am, and that's all he needs to know, that I exist, that I am. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus says the same phrase. He says, I am the gate, I'm the bread, I'm the water, I am the, the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, the life. He says seven phrases, I am, and here three times. Who are you guys looking for? Because you found God. Who are you guys looking for? You're going to arrest God is what Jesus says to them. It's so, I don't know, it just kind of gives me chills. It's like, I want, I want on that guy's side, not their side. For whatever's about to go down, I'm gonna stand over here behind him. The first action that we see is this show of power against the show of force. You ever feel like you have enemies? You ever feel like you're just walking around minding your own business, doing your own thing. And then and there's like people that just want to get you. And you don't even know why. Like, why are they mad at me? Why are they mad? Like, there's all this like taking things out of context. There's all this like whispering and it's murmuring. People working against you. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Jesus had enemies. You ever start to feel like in your life, like I would be such a good Christian if it weren't for all these people I have to deal with all the time. It's one of these phrases in church church work. I'm probably not supposed to tell y'all this, that preachers say this, but church would be great if it weren't for all the people. Which doesn't make any sense because church is the people. You ever feel that way? Like Christianity would be awesome if it weren't for the Christians. It'd be really great. It's a good thing. Jesus had enemies. Jesus had strong, powerful enemies. And here's at least the very first action that I see him take in the face of his enemies he ain't afraid. He ain't scared of that. I am exactly who you were looking for. It's just, I think you bit off more than you could chew. The very first action Jesus takes in the midst of these enemies that come at him in the dark is power. Then he transitions a little bit there in an unexpected way, a way that you probably would not think that he was about to do. Look at the verse, the verses that follow seven through nine. Then he asked them again, who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I can imagine somebody like, like, like there's 600 quiet people and they wait around like, I'm not saying it again. You say it. Jesus of Nazareth. And they said, and I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let them go. It's probable. Why would Jesus ask the question twice? Why would he ask them twice? They said it. Everybody heard it. Everybody knows what he said. Probably asked them twice so that they would from their own mouth confess that they don't have any beef with these guys. They don't have a warrant for their arrest. It's just his. So he wants to move from a position of power to a position of protection. He uses his strength, his ability 
his platform, his resources in this moment, notice in this moment, not for himself, but for others. He moves immediately to using that power that knocks them on their rear to protecting and to standing in between their swords and his followers. Now be careful here, be careful. We could start to read this and we could think that God, Jesus, never wants us to go through any hardships. He never wants us to be arrested. He never wants us to be in conflict or challenges. That's, Jesus doesn't want that sort of stuff, but that's not the full scale of the story. That's what happens here, but it happens with a deeper spiritual meaning. I know that for two things. One is that every one of these disciples are gonna eventually be taken captive, arrested and killed by this very same evil force that comes after Jesus. Everyone except for one, is going to die a martyr's death by the same evil force that is against Jesus. And the one that doesn't, he dies of old age. They tried to kill him several times. Jesus is bringing to pass in a physical illustration, a spiritual truth. John even, John even tells you about it. He says this was to fulfill, this protection of his disciples was to fulfill the words he had said, where? In chapter 17, 16 and 17. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Jesus prayed a prayer and he says, God, you gave me followers and I haven't lost a one of them. Every one of them I still have, except for that one that never was really with me. I protect my own. Spiritually, ultimately, Jesus protects his own. That's the point. That's the idea that's going on in here. That's the, that's the invitation. That's the, that's the good news for those of us who walk through this world tired and scared and beat up, constantly finding new enemies, constantly seeing new challenges, constantly feeling as though we are beat up and pushed down and, and pushed aside, all of these sort of feelings. Jesus wants you to know he protects his own. When you believe and you trust in Jesus, you are set free. They are in danger of being bound, of being captured. But Jesus protects his own, he sets them free. John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What a cool, what a cool action that's happening in the midst of this. We start off so sad and scared and intimidated but it just takes few things. Jesus steps in the middle of this and there is power and this protection. So you can imagine, I don't know, how would you respond? If you're standing right there, what would you do? Are you the kind of person that just would run? Like as soon as you knew that those swords are coming for you, you were already gone. You didn't see any of this. Are you the kind of person that just starts crying? Just crying? Or maybe you're the kind of, this is me. You get in a stressful situation, you start laughing. Anybody that way? Stressful, so you start telling jokes, you start laughing. Jesus is like, this is not the time. This is literally not the time, right? Maybe that's you. I don't know how you would respond, but we do know how one person responds. Simon Peter. He's right there. I love Simon. Isn't he great? Simon Peter said, who had a sword. You don't really picture the disciples walking around with weapons. He was packing. He had a sword. Struck the high priest's, like that would have been cool. No, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Just cut that thing off. I love this little side note, just so you know, his name was Malchus. Like, thanks, John, never met him, but great. His name's Malchus. And at that, Jesus responded. Look, Peter gets a bad rap for this, right? Like we make fun of Peter. 
He pulls a sword, he's surrounded. Let's say it's on the, there's 200 soldiers. What did he think was about to happen, right? He's just gonna fight his way through 200 to 600 trained Roman guards. The temple police, he pulls his sword and he strikes Malchus' right ear, cuts his ear right off. Now here's the thing, I fully believe he was aiming for his head. I think he was trying to take his head off. He thought, if I go down, I'm gonna go down swinging. I'm gonna get at least one of y'all. And so he misses, he hits his ear. The other thing that I find funny about it is he doesn't go after the high priest. That guy's in charge, you should take that one. Or like one of the guards or one of the soldiers, probably because they're a lot bigger than this one dude named Malchus that was just standing there, you know? In my mind, 45 minutes ago, high priest says to Malchus, hey, we're gonna go arrest a guy, you wanna go with us? He's like, yeah, sure, I ain't got nothing to do. He goes home later that night. He's telling his wife, you will not believe the night that I had. Like, is it still bleeding? I think my ear fell off. Not totally sure. The guy we arrested, he just put it back on. She's like, yeah, it did. So that's all happening here. We give Peter a bad rap for this, right? Peter always brash. He's out of control. Listen, and maybe that's true, but the guy's passionate. The guy is passionate. We mess with Peter, we say he sank in the water. He didn't have enough faith. He's the only one that stepped out of that boat. So you gotta give him props for that. You gotta give him props for that. We, we joke about it, well, he missed. He hit that guy's ear. He's the only one that said, you come at Jesus, you're coming through me. You gotta give him props for that. Maybe he was like, Jesus and these other guys. You can have one of them, that one, but I'm gonna protect the rest of you, you know? Maybe he was going for Judas. I like that. I like that kind of passion. I like that kind of bravery. I think Jesus does as well, but it has to be honed in. It has to be geared in the right direction. You see what Jesus does is he reveals not only his power and his protection, but his plan. This is the plan. Jesus says to him, and Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away, put that up. Am I not to drink the cup the father has given me? I need to go the way that God has planned this. I'm gonna drink the cup. The Old Testament way of drinking the cup, the idea was to drink the wrath. The cup of God was the full wrath, the full anger of God. I'm gonna drink that. So put your sword away. See, you know what happened was Peter did what a lot of us do. When we face opposition, Peter goes to fight fire with fire. You come at me, you're gonna sue me, I'll sue you back. I'll sue you twice, you know? You start gossiping about me, I hear that you're talking trash. I'm gonna talk some more trash. I can talk more trash than you can talk. I'm gonna do this. Y'all, you didn't, you had that thing, you didn't invite me, that hurt my feelings. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan a thing and not invite you. See how that feels, right? Fire with fire. Somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. Somebody says something, you say something. Somebody punches, you punch harder. And Jesus says to Peter, with all of his passion. That's not the plan. That's not the way that we're doing this. Remember, somebody hits you, you turn your cheek. They wanna take your stuff, you give them more stuff. They make you walk, you walk further. The plan is not strength and swords, it's service and sacrifice. That's the way that we're gonna go with this, service and sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he says to them, he says, listen, people who are without God, they get a position of strength, they get a position of power and influence, and they lord it over other people. 
They bully, they throw their weight around. They make sure that it's their way or the highway. They get together in little rooms and, and talk it all out in their, in their established and, and, and strength. And they're gonna work together to make sure that every other person is following what they want and their plan. That's what the godless do. But that's, Jesus, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're about. We're gonna sacrifice and we're gonna serve. He says, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve other people. And then his next statement is this, and to give my life a ransom for many, many people. Jesus ties the plan to the cross. And drinking that cup and giving his life for ransom, he doesn't use his strength to get out of this. He says, this is the plan. This is the way that God had designed it. So we have this really cool scene. This really surprising turn of events in which they show force in order to intimidate. And the only intimidating person in this story is the one that they are about to arrest. That they show this big scary scene, but all they really reveal is how scared they are of the townspeople. That's why they come in the middle of the night. And in the midst of that, Jesus steps into that scene, not as a victim, not as a martyr, but as a sovereign. Uh, Pastor David says it this way. What you see is that he's not caught and he's not combated. He's in control. He's not caught. He's not combative. He's absolutely in control. So man, what a great scene. What a great applicable moment because I want to share this with you as encouragement. I want you to walk out of here today encouraged because like I said earlier on, and I'm the same way, Got all of these like um, enemies that come in the night. All of these enemies that march up in the dark. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that happens. Go through your day just fine. You lay your head down on the pillow and then all of a sudden all of those situations come and they come marching through your mind. They surround you. It's intimidating. It's fear. And maybe it's a lot like this. Maybe you see somebody right there in the front of the intimidation that is a betrayer. Somebody that you thought you could trust, but somebody who only gets close enough to kiss you on the cheek and stab you in the back. Maybe you have health concerns. Maybe you have legal concerns. All of that's at play in what's about to happen here. Maybe there's just people that just flat don't like you. You don't know why, and I don't know why. You're a really nice person, but maybe you do. You got all these enemies that come up and what they've said, and what they've done. And my encouragement to you is to remember, Jesus isn't intimidated by them. Stand close to that guy. Get as close as you can to that one. Buddy up to Jesus. He's not afraid. He's not scared. In fact, he's just waiting for them to say something so he can show his power and protect his own. And you're his own. I wanna encourage you to stand close to Jesus. I also wanna encourage you to follow the plan. Serve, sacrifice, love. One of the, uh, the Bible says in Luke chapter six, verse eight, bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies. Tim Pratt Jr., he's a friend of mine on Facebook. He, he, he reshared that verse there and he said, it's hard to hate those that are on your prayer list. It's hard to hate those that are on your prayer list. Such a great story. 
But here's the truth. If you see that story, and if you see him, if you see it as an ambush, then you pity him. But if you see it as it really is, then you fear him and you worship him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.